Yeah, you can say more words. I'm just listening to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, words, words. Okay, so we are at the yeah. Um, the same one where you know, but you know what? There's a there's a. A little light for creepiness, I guess. You could sit with my other co-host that I normally have on with me. We're talking. That should be like, I don't know, hold on. So you have something to actually hold it in. Welcome to the Paranormal XL YouTube edition. Um, I'm your host. That was fun. <laughs> So, welcome to Paranormal XL Podcast. Season four is where it's all at. Um, went many different directions in the past, like three and a half, four years now. And <sighs> don't we always? Four. And I had to beam Mama Mary back in to bring us back for season four for aliens. Yay! <laughs> I love the ET. Yay! So, yeah, um, <laughs> we are super excited about this episode. As you can tell, I'm super nervous. I say that almost every episode, but. I am super nervous just because, because so <laughs> we'll just depend. You got anything to say? No, we, all the, the, the guests we're doing today, he's like one of my favorite guys. He knows everything about ET that there is to know. So wealth of knowledge. And if you're really I interested, you're going to learn something new. Definitely. <laughs> I, I got my pen ready and everything. <sighs> I can't wait to learn and know. I'm all about learning and researching. That's ah, so exciting. So some of you may know our guest. He is the director of Michigan MUFON, recently on Unsolved Mysteries on the Netflix, Alien Contact in 2020, American Alien Invasion, the Lost UFO Encounters in 2012, Abducted by Aliens, UFO Encounters, of the fourth kind in 2014, Peter Jennings learning UFO seeing is believing in 2005, Adduction Diaries in 2002. He is also an author of some Ottawa books. <laughs> Made that up myself. <laughs> pretty excited. So I'm pretty sure he is going to teach us a thing or oh, yeah. 18. So I'm pretty excited <laughs> about that. So, um, but let's hold on because I made him an introduction video. Like that's how awesome this is going to be. Welcome, Bill Konkoleski. Spill ready. Yes. <laughs> Hi. 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 Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> Did you like you the video? What, yeah, it was really something, and it, it was really odd. Right before it started, the, this helicopter started circling my house, and it took off. I'm like, that never happens. <laughs> they're watching us now. He said, "Right on." <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got yeah. Bill on. They're watching. Sweet. Um, so yeah, this is what's happening, Bill. Oh, not much. Just a bunch of stuff. Um, sort of waiting for that, how that uh, new UAP report is, is going to shake out. Um, it just seems like, uh, if, if you're familiar, the, the government, it's time for them to put out their next uh, UFO slash UAP report. Yeah. And 
Um, it appears to be that it's going to be pretty underwhelming, saying that a lot of mistaken uh, sightings are drones, um, Chinese drone, other, I don't know, things like space junk or whatever. And I don't doubt that people see things in the sky that they can't recognize that aren't really that, aren't extraterrestrial, I guess that's where we're going with. But, but some things uh, appear to be, so, um, you know, why spend your time talking about the the the, the things, even if it's the majority of things that can be identified, you want to talk about the uh, the stranger things out there. Well, absolutely. Um, so you are um, the director of Michigan uh, Movement. So for our listeners and viewers that don't know exactly what that is, can you can you explain? <laughs> Sure. Uh, MUFON, uh, the Mutual UFO Network, is the world's largest UFO research organization. Uh, we're, we've got 5,000 members in over 40 countries, and uh, Michigan is one of the chapters of many for MUFON. We happen to be a, a chapter that uh, gets a very large number of sightings for our site. Um, we're generally in the top 10 uh, with number of UFO sightings. Um, you know, up in you know categories like Texas and Florida and California, the big states, um, and so we get about 200 sighting reports annually here in Michigan. So one or two a week, and it keeps us quite busy. Uh, we can we have a team of investigators that look into these. Essentially, how it works is if somebody sees the UFO, they can report it to us. Usually, it's through our website, MUFON.com, and then a field investigator gets assigned to look into it contacts the witness and tries to figure out what it is. And if we can, that's great. And if we can't, that's some of the good stuff. We can generally identify about, on a on a better year, between 80 to 95% of the cases that come into us. But still, if you get 200 sightings a year, 10 of them. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to take a look at this helicopter. Okay, you can take a look. In the line. Okay. <laughs> Completing my thought. <laughs> That's good. Um, and so out of 200 sightings, if we identify 95%, that means there's 10 really good ones every year that we can't identify just even in Michigan alone. And as the late uh, Stanton Friedman, uh, the great UFO investigator used to say, you know, it really just takes one, really just takes one sighting to be authentic. And then that, uh, that proves and changes everything. Oh, right. Absolutely. Um, I know we discussed not talking theories, but this just popped in my head because that's just who I am as a person. Um, now, Dank, because you um, named like Florida, Texas, California, and us, the bodies of water. Do you, that has anything to do with? It's it's certainly possible. Um, there are many theories that say that uh, the UFOs um, want water, need water, um, whether it's for some maintenance of their ship, like a fuel whether they're just studying bodies of water to see what, uh, you know, what's inside it, like the chemical level or, you know, what the biological stuff that's in the water. I don't know. Um, when uh, somebody recently, it was a, a television production crew about 10 years ago, it was a very big year for us UFO-wise in, in Michigan. We actually had 412 sightings. It was 2012, so it was a big year. And the majority of that was uh, Chinese lanterns or sky lanterns, you know, those little plastic yeah. bags with candle, yeah. and there you go. It looks like weird in the sky. So when a TV production crew came up and said, hey, we've got a theory that there's a UFO base under Lake Michigan. Um, 
And I said, well, people don't really talk about that that seriously. You know, people speculate a number of things, including the fact that, you know, there's some interest in the water. And and I said, you know, um, I'm not sure how far we'd be able to go with that. And he said, can you do this for me? And I remember the year was 2013 because it was after the year 2012 when we had all those sightings. He said, can you go back and look at last year and tell me how many sightings you had on or near Lake Michigan? And I said, sure. So I came back. God, I tell you? I'm sorry. <laughs> if that's bad interview etiquette, but this, I am not used to a helicopter. It's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. I, they want you to know tell us stories. Um. So, so I came back and I, I said, okay, we've got four we've got four UFO sightings on or near Lake Michigan. And he came back. And he's like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe there's a base under Lake Michigan. I said, well, let's put this in perspective. Four is just under 1% of the sightings we got in the state. And uh, on a body of water that, you know, if you include the Upper Peninsula, and of course you do, it borders half the state. So I, I said, you know, that's a very small number for such a big area. And but they went with it anyway, and um, and the the TV show that they ultimately produced uh, was really weighted heavily that they, they thought there was a base under Lake Michigan. Now this isn't to take away from um, the March eighth, nineteen ninety four sighting, which included, <laughs> which includes of course Lake Michigan. Um, there were over three hundred witnesses uh, on the west side of the state. On March eighth, uh, ninety four, many calls into the police, uh, many witnesses to not only glowing discs of a singular color, like a red disc flying around, a blue disc, things like that, but also very, very large discs of glowing with the headphone lights all the way around them. And um, the the big sort of stars of that evening um, were the Graves family, this family of four that saw this giant UFO hovering just across the street. They called the police. Uh, the police sent over Officer Jeff Feldhaus, who also witnessed the UFO, as well as another one in the sky. And at the same time, they got in touch with the National Weather Service in Muskegon and radar operator Jack Bashong. He also witnessed very large returns on his radar. And he said that, you know, the National Weather Service radar isn't built to detect aircraft. It's built to detect weather. So if you have an aircraft on that appear on on the radar it's very it's a very large thing and um you know substantial <laughs> maybe it's not a helicopter at all so <laughs> i'm so sorry what is going on no, i love that this is great it, it's it's we need this this is helping my nerves we're being being dead so where anyway you- so, so where the story is going <laughs> I should take this. I should take this interview outside, and you could see it flying around in the background. Um, but the um, so anyway, at one point, Jack says that that he saw the witnessed the UFOs shoot out over Lake Michigan at a speed he said was at about seventy-two thousand miles an hour. He estimates, and that when it went out into the lake, it was joined by he said potentially dozens of other craft that were hovering over the southern part of Lake Michigan in an area which happened to be the only part of the lake which was not yet frozen over or or pardon me had thawed because it was going into spring there was no frozen water 
it was all just, you know, um, open water where all these UFOs were hovering. That seemed to be the spot that they all were. Coincidence? I don't know. But um, that does definitely say that uh, something was potentially interesting about that spot of the lake that drew all those craft. Why they would choose that as a reconnaissance point. Maybe it's because it isn't over a populated area, you know, but I don't know. It's interesting. I, it, that was discussed on the episode on Unsolved Mysteries, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so good. I got sent that link. Somebody's <laughs> like, you need to watch this. And I was watching and I seen your face on there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to that guy. I know, his face is all over the place. I was like, husband, husband, I'm going to talk to that guy. <laughs> didn't find it very entertaining. No, I did. But I usually- no, it was, it was very interesting because I it's neat to hear about those types of things that you know are in your home state or near home and you know Kalamazoo and stuff like that you know not that far from yeah. it's really neat to so like in Michigan where do we get the most sightings so wherever you get the most sightings is always a population map um, wherever there's more people there's more people seeing things there isn't any sort of outsized area that can't be pointed to as just saying oh there's more people that live there so that's where we're getting more reports. Um, also, we get UFO reports at a steady pace throughout the year, within the time of the year that we get more sightings. You know, certainly there are these breakout events like March 8th, where, you know, you have a fairly steady number of sightings in the expected areas, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's this event. So these events do come along, but otherwise, uh, things just tend to be everywhere all the time. And again, wherever there's more people, more people see. Yep, more eyes. Um, so let's say versus even 10 years ago. Now, has it made it more difficult like when the research team and stuff goes out there because of the drones and the things that people have up there in the sky just because of technology itself? Like uh, the Elon Musk that stuck that thing out there. I don't ever talk about it. I can't remember. I was like, oh, my God, what is that? And they're like, it's that. Oh, the Sterling satellites? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we, uh, we, a couple of years ago, 2020, you know, big, everybody's at home, um, you know, due to COVID and, uh, 2021, um, we started to get all sorts of these sightings and people were, were seeing, um, you know, strings of chains of balls of light shooting off into the sky. Cause when they launch these satellites, they launch them in a string. And they, they are pretty mysterious looking. You can go onto YouTube or whatever and look up Starlink satellites and see what these look like. And um, we even had, and I think we still have at MoveOn.com, this little video saying, if this is what you saw, this is what that was. Yeah, much like uh, um, Time Magazine called Elon Musk their person of the year recently. Yeah, he certainly earned our person of the year for all the fake UFO reports we were getting in, or identifiable UFO we were getting in. I, I swear this thing is circling my head. <laughs> say they're after something. It is so weird. This never happens. Huh. Oh, well. I guess all of a sudden, like, if you disappear, we'll just be like, well, that's, that's, that's it. it. We're all done. <laughs> that's it on you ever. So what are your personal experiences, Bill? That's what I've been asked. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, you know, you think Bill is just this normal guy, but he's got this kind of a weird side in that he investigates UFOs. And uh, really, um, this this is my normal side, the investigating UFOs. The weird side is that, um, you know, ever since age two, I've had very personal, direct 
encounters with very strange things. And um, my very first memory in life, H2, is a little gray guy um, that came into my room, stared at me at the from the foot of my crib, and I screamed for my parents. My mother told me to go back to sleep, and the thing walked out of my room. Um, I had experiences at age four, seven, nine, ten, and many in my teens and early 20s. I document as much as I can in my books about that time of life. And it was quite a lot. So, you know, I'm not just a MUFON president. I'm also a client, you know, to take a line from a commercial. And, you know, I always say that UFOs took an interest in me before I took an interest in them. And so trying to identify lights in the sky um, is actually on the normal tip of my um, experience on the UFO journey. Um, I have a scar on my arm from age seven. Um, of, from a procedure that I got done to me when I was brought on board. Um, and I still have that scar. I, I've had several sightings of UFOs as well as up close personal encounters with these beings. So I come at this, uh, the, this topic from a different direction than some of my peers, where they come at it where they say, you know, I want to determine whether or not there's anything to this phenomenon. I want to see if there's anything here or not. And I come to this, um, this the middle ground where they're at, um, trying to help people that have seen things that I, I know are affecting them. Right. Uh, and, and being able to say that, you know, if, if you've never seen one for yourself, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, I make the perfect skeptic because, you know, I, I've never seen anything. So I can look at this very objectively. And yeah. I come at it from the other direction and say, you know, since I have had these types of experience, I can better determine which of these things is on the more authentic end and which of them are on the maybe identifiable. Right. Hmm. What do you think authentic. your purpose is working with ET the way you do? Um, you know, had you had asked you me... Um, maybe a month ago, you know, I, I would say this, and it's still a valid answer, in that um, since I have the luxury to be able to talk about this, I feel sort of an obligation. Um, maybe that's a strong word to do so. Uh, it's a topic that's affected me very deeply. So it's something that I'm very invested in. And the fact that in my family, amongst my friends, at work, everywhere, I'm very open about my life with this. And a lot of people that have had this type of encounter or encounters like this aren't allowed in their lifetime. Something is blocking them from having these discussions, from talking about it openly. And I, you know, I think because I can, I should, and I do enjoy doing that. And so uh, I do it. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's good for that purpose. And if the question is like on a broader cosmic scale, um, you know, is there something, you know, cosmic, cosmically affecting me to do this? I s <laughs> oh, I hear it now. <laughs> closer. Yes. What is up? Okay. Um, I, 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 this is a first, not only in an interview, but just in general. Huh. So they must be looking for something if they're going that long. I, I do. I I do have a helicopter story that I could tell, but I don't generally tell it. But I, I'll I'll tell it in a minute I, and return to the, the the question at hand here. So back in the heyday of UFO books, 
Um, when oh, I started to explore what had happened to me, um, which started in the late 80s, I was picking up books by Bud Hopkins, Whitley Strieber, John Mack, uh, David, David Jacobs, uh, Ray Fowler, you yeah. know, um, Turner, uh, just a lot of the Jenny Randalls, a lot of the, this was a big heyday for UFO books, um, books coming out telling the stories of people who'd had these encounters, as well as a lot of people's thoughts on, on the phenomena. And um, oh, and so I, I uh, had a, you know, a deep interest in it because I was trying to make sense of the things that had already happened to me up until that point. And I don't believe those books drove my... Um, level of experience, but it helped put this, the experiences that I've had, that I'd had up until that point and ongoing into some sort of context. Now, during that same phase of the um, 80s and 90s, um, there's an author, um, very familiar with, of course, and, and possibly you too as well, uh, the Dolores um, Cannon, um, and she, she was putting out a large array of books uh, on a variety of topics. She basically worked through hypnotic regression. Um, so there was a lot of books on past life regression, what happens when we die, and then also people explaining things in their past life regression, things about the pyramids and et cetera, et cetera. And then she found herself uh, with a particular subject who was uh, given the pseudonym Phil in the book. And uh, she explores his uh, encounters um, first of all, it started as a past life regression, and then it suddenly shifted gears to where she was talking to some sort of uh, a consciousness, like he was channeling some sort of cosmic consciousness. And um, they had multiple sessions uh, regarding this. Um, at the time that I was reading these books, um, although I was aware of her as an author um, and know that she there was there wasn't any topic that she didn't really touch, I didn't really go for her books like uh, uh, Keepers of the Garden, uh, Custodians, and then I, from what I understand, there's even more something Legacy of the Stars. Yes, Legacy of the Stars. That's all about the star seeds and star. That, 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 yeah, that's another ET one, but it talks about more of uh, the seeding of the plant. In convoluted universe, yeah, she's the reason why I got into the past life regression. As he's talking, I'm like, is he talking about Mama Mary? Yeah, I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't write those books, but they are fascinating. They really are. You should. And so, I, I, these books, even though I was, di you know, I was voraciously digesting every book on the subject I could find. Um, I, I I had passed over that. Um, I had the misconception that the the book just looking at the title meant that she was talking about the garden of eden and i know she touched on some religious subjects so i'm like oh okay so she's talking about garden and i had no idea that that what the book was really about and so i i very recently read it um when i say recently i just finished it this morning um and it is a lot of really phenomenal food for thought um she t sometimes in in these books i can't say she when it comes from phil the these the the, the person regressing there's a couple of things where i'm like i don't know about that but as an overall theme as an idea the theory that's put out in this book is it connects like pretty much all the dots 
and, and it, it's it was it really it's one of those books where you have to say okay, okay. at least if, in somebody in my perspective that's had this lifetime of encounters to say okay now let me look at everything in light of what this book says let wow. me compare my reality with this theory and see how well it fits and so I guess I'm going to be getting into that phase, and um, I have already have custodians, which I'm probably going to start any day, and um, take this journey of exploration of what this message is and how it ties into the question before about me talking about this is that I really get a feeling that somebody out there somewhere wants at least a percentage of people that can talk about this phenomenon, they want them talking about it. They want this in the public discussion to a certain level. And so that it's um, we're not completely sucker punched when that UFO lands on the White House lawn or whatever and have nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, do, I, I do think and I do feel that there's... Um, yeah, beings, a consciousness, something, something out there that, that wants, wants to keep our planet talking about the, the evident fact that we're not alone in the universe um, and not to isolate ourselves and um, fixate on the mundane things that, that drive us, mostly fear-based, and you know to sort of open ourselves so that we can progress out there. Um, and a lot of the cliché things that have been said about um, why they haven't why? come down, I, I tend to think are true. I tend to think we're quarantined. Um, uh, you know, just yeah. imagine if you know, <laughs> just imagine if they let us out into the universe <laughs> with you know, advanced technology. Look so, at us! We, Look at us as a human race. I'm too that in. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. are horrible. Like yeah. the majority of them are peacekeepers, mm-hmm. and we're just not ready to that life. You just, you know, all I need as evidence is the drive to work and the drive home. Just the ridiculous things that that <laughs> happen on the road. And I'm like, I'm in a 35 mile per hour zone and the, the amount of speeding and road rage, I'm like on suburban streets. I'm like, this is, I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, vent about it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it's everywhere. You know, there is, you know, I could just imagine what the road rage looks like in space. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay with that. Blah, about we're in a storm area 51 and blah, blah, blah. I was like yelling at the TV and all the things <laughs> on the Facebook. I'm like, what are people thinking? You think you can handle aliens? You'd freak out if you saw a Bigfoot. You'd, you'd freak. We see each other. We can't even accept each other. You think yeah. you storming there. I, I don't know what's there. I, I'm living my best life. It can stay there. Whatever's there. But them thinking that they're ready to see an alien, you can't even follow the rules. Yeah, you're trying true. to storm a place that you, you'll get shot. Like, I'm a glue. Anyway, I, so it's what, fine. what do you think your most impactful <laughs> encounter has been for you? Hmm. Um, that I could talk about. Here are some things that um, I'm not yet ready to. But um, I, I often say I don't have short stories, I only have long stories. Um, that's why you wrote books, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 to me, um, I would say that, and this is something, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good ones. I'm going to go with this one today. Um, when I was a teenager, um, when 
I was visited fairly regularly. I had actually turned my bedroom into an obstacle course uh, just to prevent getting abducted. I had uh, next to my um, front the door into my bedroom, I had a dresser, and I would put a snare drumstick in there so that the door could only open so far. I would generally have either the TV or the radio on. I would have the light on. Um, I would have a fan blowing on me so that if anything broke that air current, I would know um, somebody was in the room. If I had my eyes closed, I always had my curtains closed and the shade drawn. Um, I had junk just all over my floor all the time to create an obstacle course. Whenever I could, uh, you know, have the dog in there um, with me, uh, I did. And it didn't work. Didn't work at all. I don't think it came close to, to having any effect. When I was little, you know, up until maybe about age 10, they were playful uh, with me. Um, they seemed like friends. But as I got into puberty, um, things changed dramatically. And there was just a whole lot of making me in the middle of the night and the experimentation that you hear about and really creepy stuff to try to live through. And then try to go on living a normal life after this is happening to you. And the majority of people, you know, are not sympathetic to such a thing like that because to them it doesn't even exist. So when I was brought aboard one of these times, I was 16, and I went, I was taken by um, a combination of the smaller gray beings that I would see that were about three feet tall that had a big wraparound eyes. A five-foot-tall version, um, similarly similar in appearance, slightly taller, and I could tell they weren't exactly the same type of being. Uh, once I was brought before the mantis, it was about seven feet tall, and it had such a high, highly compressed energy to it. It was it was it was difficult to be around. It was just so powerful. The, the energy around this thing. It was, and it was pretty terrifying. It was pretty much a seven foot tall praying mantis in a robe. Um, it sounds absurd. And it is, you know, it, and you could think of it that way until you see one in real life. And when I was brought before it, um, it said to me, you are resisting now and you shouldn't be resisting. You used to go with the program. Now you're resisting. Stick with the program and... Uh, you will see its benefit. Stop resisting. And it terrified me. And I could tell it felt like I was being brought to the principal's office, uh, you know, from my high school perspective. You know, they're trying to scare me into going with the program. Um, at least, it, it, you know, I, I can't interpret it another way. And then let me back, you know, home in my bed and everything. Um, what I was left with was the fear of it. But not necessarily convinced um, that it had its it had my best interest in mind. The way it was being conveyed was like, "This is for my best interest. I should go along with it and enjoy its benefit." Um, but I, I couldn't believe that at the time, and I didn't. And then, as I got into my twenties, um, I started to have experiences with them that were on more um, mutual ground, uh, more. They were more like respectful. They weren't as harsh. They weren't just grabbing me in the middle of the night. So the, the nature of the phenomena changed when uh, I got into my early 20s. And as I've aged, I started to look back and say, you know, that thing was probably right. You know, that what they were doing was probably for the best good. 
But I, I think that they have a challenge with us in that um, them being beings of consciousness, they don't understand how well, how much we cling to our physical form. You know, for us, we're all about our bodies and the ego is very much invested in our physical form. And to them, the body is a vehicle. And so when they take our vehicle to do tests on our vehicle, um, we take it as most invasive, a big affront for us and our, our physical form, which we take to be ourselves. And, and they can't understand why that's a problem. And so I don't think that they probably just didn't understand um, the issues that I was having um, with that as a teenager or as anybody would. Um, and so I think that was why they felt they needed to have that message for me, even though it didn't quite stick at that time. Have anybody to, <clears throat> to talk to about all this? Like when you were going through this as a young kid, as a young man, as a teen in your 20s? Um, yes. Um, you know, the phenomena runs through my mother's side of the family. And I have four older brothers, uh, three still here on Earth. And my two oldest brothers have had an immense lifetime full of experience both together. And then the two next brothers, I'm the youngest of five, the next two brothers, no experiences between them, zero. And then me pick right up and, you know, dial it up to 11 with the experience again. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I don't know why it skipped the, the two middle brothers. And yeah. when the family got, would get together and talk about stuff, like, oh, how have you been? Like, oh, yeah, I was taken. You know, like the two middle <laughs> brothers would look at each other like, oh, you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> But because of that, I had a sympathetic family. Yes. When I was little, they were, my brothers were told specifically not to talk about their own experiences around me. And then when I got old enough, um, you know, like, like middle school, junior high age, whatever, and mm -hmm. there, then they, they were opening up to me about their own weird right. encounters. And so I do have that as a support system. I didn't have friends that really had that kind of thing going on right. until I discovered MUFON in 1993. And, you know, came into a broader paranormal community. You know, you, you have that persistent support. Um, but, yeah, I was lucky enough that uh, I had a, a family that was compassionate when I would talk about the things that right. happened to me. So that would be and such that, a struggle. You feel like you're alone. Yeah, yeah, you already do at that age. But then to have that happen, you're like, what do you mean this is normal? And I have nobody I can talk to about it. Like, that's awesome yeah. that you had. At least your family yeah. there. And that's why I called my first book Raised in Two Worlds because I was a normal kid, had friends, paper mm -hmm. route, played yeah. on the soccer team, you know, all the normal stuff, dated, whatever. But, uh, you know, I had this other track going at the same time. And so, yeah, yeah it was all about these, these two things two. happening at the same time and how, how you sort of manage that. And then when I got into my early 20s, is when the beings, the consciousness, whatever you want to think of it, it really started to take a personal interest in my life, whom I was dating, where I was living, my friend. It just had a very um, keen interest in, in the direction my adult life would take. Right. And, and, and that's why I call it the, the two worlds collide. And um, it's not exciting. You know, it's not when, when people start to talk about like, here, let me tell you about this five years of my life where the aliens seem to nudge me one way or another. 
you know, it's it's not as sexy as, you know, the story's like, oh my gosh, this light came down and this thing and ah, you know. <laughs> But, but really, I, I, I think the, this, the, the long game story is a lot more interesting than these one-off events. Yeah. The fact that there is somebody constantly watching your life, constantly, constantly. having opinions on your life, and you have to wonder why that is. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's a much bigger phenomena than somebody just being taken once. You know, most of the people who are taken are taken several times. You know, I like to joke, call them frequent flyers. But it's it's true, you know. Most people don't have just a single experience; they have a relationship with these beings, and and it lasts a lifetime. Now, since we're you got your brothers that have stories as well. Now, when you guys would talk about that, or any of the other stories that people come with you with, are the beings? Do they seem to look alike? Um, they they tend to be the the smaller grays and the taller grays. Um, for the um, most for the- part, um, I think that there is probably a, a tremendous variety visiting this earth. You know, I have close friends that talk about beings that visit them that look nothing like the ones that I describe. And yeah, it's possible that they're being visited by those beings. It's just you know, the, the ones that I'm familiar with are the little ones, uh, the little gray guys and the slightly taller gray guys. Oh, okay. Hmm. You know, if I can slip in that helicopter story before yeah, absolutely I absolutely do. <laughs> So when um, I was, it was my early 20s, and I was still living at home. Um, my, I was the only person at home at the time. Uh, being the youngest, all my brothers had moved out. So it was just me and my folks at the time. My dad was uh, job hunting, and he had, had an interview for a company. And they told him that they would call him on a particular day to tell him whether or not he got the job. And so he wanted somebody at home to take the call, should they call. And I was like, yeah, I got nothing going on. I'll, I'll be home, sure. And he goes off to work. And I'm sitting alone at home in the afternoon. Uh, it's like two in the afternoon. And I'm reading a UFO book. I remember it was Jacob, David Jacob. When was it? It was before the threat. I can't remember. Anyway, it was a David Jacobs book on, on abductions. And the while I was sitting there reading the book, uh, the phone rang. And... Uh, Okay, maybe it's you know this interview result that my dad wanted. So I, I go and I, I answer the phone and it's my dad and he's like, Has anybody called for you know talk you know to, to say anything about the job? And I said no. And then he goes, well maybe uh, your mother took the call or whatever. I'm like, no, she's at work. I'm like, I'm the only one here. It's just me. And then I realized when I said that that I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that I was alone. That. I just felt that that was a mistake somehow. And then he's like, okay, you know, let me know if, if, uh, uh, I'm like, sure thing. So he hangs up, I go and sit down and I pick up the book and I'm like, I'm just just feeling really weird now. And the phone rings again and I go back and I pick it up and, you know, this was, you know, old school. It was a, you know, landline, you know, connected to the wall, hanging in the kitchen wall, whatever. So anyways, I go and I pick up the phone and it's dead silent. Nobody's there. It's quiet. And as I as I'm I'm going to hang up the phone, I hear an approaching helicopter. Um, um as I do now. <laughs> anyway, so I hang up the phone, and this helicopter starts approaching. I could hear it, and it's getting louder and louder and louder. And then as it gets over the house, it is so loud the windows are shaking. 
and um, the sort of precious moments figures that my mom had, some of them were toppling over. I mean, this thing was shaking the house. So I run outside, and yeah, yeah. there's this black Huey helicopter hanging really low over the house. The backwash of it, the, the downward of the, the rotors is moving, moving the grass, the grass. slightly. And, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why is this helicopter hovering over my house? And then I look up at it, and then it slowly lifts up, and then it flies off. And so I'm like, okay. you know, very strange, obviously. And so I, I call, uh, I, I go and call Shirley Coyne, the state director from Michigan MUFON at the time. I was a brand new MUFON member. And I'm like, hey, Shirley, you know, um, this helicopter just came over my house. Should I, what do you think? And she goes, oh, you need to call Air, Air National Guard and, and, and file a complaint. And she and goes, she that's the only way they'll get the message to stop doing that. I'm like, you want me to call them a military base and complain oh, yeah. about a helicopter inclusion? <laughs> you know, and I, I'm in my early 20s, so technically an adult, but still kind of a kid, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like oh, I don't know. And she's like, you got, got to, you. you got to. I'm like, all right. So I did. <laughs> I called, got out the phone book um, um, and called. And they, uh, and I said, yeah, there was a helicopter that came down to my house. And, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, all right, we'll look into it and we'll call you back within 15 minutes. So I, I hang up and yeah, within 15 minutes, he called and said, yes, there was. Uh, there were several helicopters flying from some base in Illinois. Um, and, I the name, and he gave the name, but I forget it. And he said that they were, in fact, flying towards Selfridge. But um, they are not allowed, he said, to fly below 500 feet. And that one would stop and hover over your house. Uh, they can't figure it out, but they'll they'll ask around about it. Or, and that's the last I ever heard about that. But, but yeah, I, I mean, if somebody says, you know, oh, you know, do you ever have you ever had a like a black helicopter? I've got, I've got you know, exactly one or, or two if you include the show. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. That is crazy. Why they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that don't make sense about it. Like, like, how could it have been just there at the right moment? And, and to be so blatantly like, this is not an accident. Yeah. You know, this, the, you know, we are right over your house. This is intentional. This is a show to you that something's going on. And then, you know, it was right after I said I was alone and I felt weird about it. And, you know, Southridge acknowledged that it was one of theirs. So, I don't know. One of those weird things. Yeah. Ugh. No, I'm not going to go outside <laughs> for the rest of the day. <laughs> now I'm scared. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. Um, these are great stories. I'm all like into them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, what is your most recent experience that you've had? Okay. So here's where my life gets a little tricky. Now, when I say, you know, as I did very recently in this interview, that since I can talk about it, I do. Since I have the support of my family and my friends and my coworkers, I do. However, many of my experiences now don't include just me. They include other people. And other people don't want me talking about their experiences. So anything that's happened to me recently, like over the past few years, anything that would make a good story uh, involve somebody or somebody that that I can't talk about. Um, and I can't talk about the story without the other person um, and have the story make any sense. But um, it, it seems to me that 
um, the the nature of my encounters has gone from a very personal Personal. track to um, including many people around me. Um, I hate to be you know coy about it. Um, There could be a time where I'm more able to talk about it. Right. It's just not right now. Um, It's just uh, the nature of of you know uh, wanting to keep the people I I know in my life out of the spotlight. Well, absolutely. And, yeah. Respect that. Why do you feel your experiences lately have been with with people than just singular? Um, it depends on the person. I'll start by saying, um, because it, it's hard to say because these are people that would have these type of encounters. How best to put, how best to put this. Um, if if the, be, having asked the question that way makes it seem like it's about me, like why do I now encounter multiple encounters? But these other people that are having encounters, I think, I think that they're having encounters on their own in their own right. So it's not the fact that they are around me that they're having encounters so much as I just happen to be around people who choose to stay out of the spotlight and are now having encounters. And so how to put that question in context for me, I think what I get out of it is that sort of support level of not being alone in this phenomenon. It's one thing, you know, to, to go through it on your own, obviously the worst way to go about this. It's one thing to have a supportive family like my older brothers and my mom and, and that sort of a thing. And you know, it's another thing also to be in a community of fellow experiencers to talk about, you know, the your encounters. But that top level is when you have experiences with other people. And that's what really makes things, you know, even if you want to say, oh, maybe I'm just imagining this, even though you know you're not. When somebody else is involved, um, it just is undeniable. undeniable. And I, I think that the the type of thing I'm getting now is that it, it doesn't, doesn't want me to have the phenomena doesn't want me to have any vagary. It wants it me wants to have it. certainty in, in in my experiences. It doesn't want to be vague. It wants to be very clear. And that's why, it, in one respect, that something like that is happening. Now, just to touch on something that is only a UFO sighting, but I think conveys a point. When I was 18, um, me and two buddies... Uh, we were in his Chevette. It was nine o'clock on a February night. Uh, so it was quite dark out. We were waiting for another friend to get home from work, parked out in front of our house. And while we were sitting in the car, this blue ball of light at about the height of two telephone poles, uh, about the size of a car, this brilliant blue bla- blue light flew very slowly over the car. And then a white ball of light then came and ping-ponged all over the sky very quickly, like lightning fast all over the sky. That disappeared, and then a red light appeared in the middle of the sky, grew to about the size of a full moon, which is very large, and then shrank, and then disappeared. And the three of us all saw it exactly the same way, all remember it exactly the same way. And in fact, I went to work the next day, turned out another co-worker had seen at least the blue ball of light. He told me his story before I told him mine. And so, I mean... That level of certainty, I think, um, is conveyed in a moment like that. Like, even if I wanted to say, oh, this never happened, or I imagined it wrong, or I must have been seeing things. No, not only did two other people with me see it the same way, 
but somebody else in my life um, the right. next day also confirmed it. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I, I think maybe this current level of encounter I have with other people might be along the same lines. Like, you know, no, stop, stop doubting yourself. Stop second guessing this because yeah. here's the evidence that it's right, real. They're, because They're giving you the validation right there with saying, yeah. having these people take the same or getting the same experience as you during the same time and stuff. Huh. I think it could be like a leveling up of the work that you're supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like profile. I see that look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling really smart right now. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just so intrigued it is with everything. Because it just never ends. Because I've had my one and only ever experience, and I don't think I've ever told anybody about this, ever. So mm -hmm. you're welcome. <laughs> I was probably six or seven when we lived in Martin, Michigan, and I was in bed, but my bed was right next to my window, and I woke up. It was 2.30 in the morning. I had no business being up, but I sat, like, right up in bed, looked out my hope, and it was, like, just a bright light, but it was, like, the shape of a cigar. But I remember, like, the feeling. I remembered everything about that, and then just, like, I just laid back down, just, like, woke up. But I remember, like, silly story, I know, but I, I seen it sat up like I was supposed to see it, lay back down, fall right back to sleep, but remembered everything from that however long I sat up and stared at it. You know, that I don't remember my dreams. I don't remember getting up and go to the restroom or anything, you know, it was that little. So I don't know. That's my, my story of something in the sky that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I would have hmm. been thirty eight years ago. No, thirty two years ago. Yeah, see I don't do those kind of stories. I've channeled E T where there's actual communication and I could see them, but where I saw anything in the sky, nothing like that. Just more visions. Even back then, that's when I like jumping into the paranormal part of things or ghost part of things. I started having happenings of like my bed shaking and things hitting me in the head when I was little. And I'm like, oh. there's a lot of correlation between ET abductions and paranormal experience. But I, I never wanted to really cross the two like that because I, maybe I don't want to know the truth because I'm a weenie <laughs> and I get scared. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's that's my story. Not nearly as cool as all yours. She's though, sticking though. to it. <laughs> yeah, when you talk about like the, is the paranormal broader paranormal yeah. phenomena and UFOs, is it the same? Are they connected? Yeah, I, I do think that um, you know. First of all, absolutely. But uh, there, there there comes a challenge when you try to talk about, say, the UFO phenomena. You know, it, it's very easy to say alien, but we don't know if they're time travelers or, you know, from another dimension, not another planet or whatever. You just sort of need a common term to have a discussion. Otherwise, you can't even talk about it. Now, like metal people, is something that's reported um, as aliens. It's reported as ghosts. You know, yeah, some, some even, even you know, like, you know, like demon or something like that for the shadow person. And, um, you know, what exactly are these shadow people? You know, are they ghosts? Are they aliens or whatever? And then you say, you say, okay, so this entity came into my house. And, and then, but now you don't, now things are really blurred. Are we talking about ghosts or ET stuff? Then? Right, you don't know. But then if you don't put it into some kind of context, you can't really discuss it. It almost becomes a trap. Um, there is so little we know about everything that's happening to, to us, you know, from like the Bigfoot uh, experience, uh, the poltergeist, you know, go to UFOs, all this stuff, that 
Um, um, yeah, we either have to use inadequate language to clumsily stumble through conversation about it to acknowledge it's happening, or just uh, if you want to find the perfect language for it, I don't think that's possible to us right now, and then you can't talk about it at all. Just do a lot of this. That's what I do. <laughs> Mix it together. I usually know what I'm trying to say, and I don't even I get do. the folds out. I'm like, ooh. No, it is very, yeah, because you end up falling down like this deep rabbit hole if you start going, are they aliens, ghost aliens? Where are the, you know, the shadow people, the orbs that people see that are demons aliens? Go into this whole yeah, thing. You can go down a rabbit hole that you really have. I don't want to energy for that. <laughs> so, is there anything else that you would like to? No, I Say think that's that's it. That's oh, it. Bill Shiro. Yeah. Oh, nope. Nope. Bill's a knowledgeable guy and yeah, he's talking about. I've enjoyed this nope. immensely. Now I'm gonna have to go buy all his books. I'm gonna be busy the rest of the week. <laughs> Jeez. Would you like to is there any like email or anything if somebody wanted to contact you about MUFON or even just talking to you or anything like that? Are you interested in giving up? Sure, yeah, I, I'm an easy target. Um so I'm on Facebook. Uh, feel free to friend me, of course. Uh, the um, If you see a UFO, please report it to MUFON at MUFON.com. If you want to become a UFO investigator, um, you can find out how to do that at MUFON.com. If you want to participate in our state meetings, um, we just had a, a really great one with the radar operator, Jack Bouchon. Our next meeting is uh, January 15th, uh, where Sev Talk, uh, who is a uh, experiencer, and also wow. a member of North Carolina MUFON, Sev Talk, will be our guest. Uh, and you could go to mimufon.org, mi for Michigan, MUFON, mimufon.org um, to find out more there. And my contact information is at both websites. I do have a personal website as well, but I don't update it quite a bit. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows it's out there, even though I talk about it. It's experiencer.me. Um, and then you could go there too to find out a little bit about my personal stuff. Sweet. Well, yeah, you sound like a busy guy. It'd be hard to keep up on that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great having you on the show and thank you so much. So oh yeah. Excited. Thank you. And, um, yeah. thanks for the air support too. <laughs> hey, you're work. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us. On this amazing episode, Mama, would you like to add anything to the end of the episode for our listeners? You know, it's been a while since they've heard from you. I know, right? No, just thanks a lot, Bill. <laughs> it's always fun talking to you. Um, it's great to be back on the show, even if it's temporarily. We're having fun, right? Drinking we some are. wine. So, but, <laughs> that's what we do. So <laughs> what's our final alcohol that we... I forgot what is it is. Are you serious? <laughs> it's kidding. on everything. No, I it. Was it follow us on something? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Remember to follow us on social media. Just search Paranormal XL. Send in your paranormal stories or episode ideas to paranormalxl at writeme.com. That's her favorite. <laughs> stay home, stay kind, stay humble, and remember, don't yuck someone who's yum. Ever. Thank you. <laughs> you can say more words. I'm just listening to you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean. Words, words. Okay, so we are at the. Yeah. Um. The same one where, you know, but you know what? There's a. There's a. <laughs> Hi. A little light for creepiness, I guess. You could sit with my other co-host that I normally have on with me. We we're talking. Actually, be like.
Not long ago. So you have something to actually hold it in. Welcome to Paranormal XL YouTube edition. Um, I'm your host.